you are visiting with us, welcome. Glad to have you with us. We uh, we believe in this in the words of this book. We believe in the the words of life. We want people to get used to opening this and opening their hearts to what's in it. And uh, as a result, we hope people find Christ in community. And we know that through technology as well, with the chance to watch online, that we just trust that the Lord is right there with you in your home or your car, wherever you're listening. Truly ask that as each one of us here or wherever you may be tonight is that you're listening for his voice. Always listening for his voice. I just feel the the privilege of being able to share his word and want to look at that tonight. So as you saw from the title tonight, we're talking about the stranger in the manger. The stranger in the manger. I, I, I don't know, it was a few weeks ago, all of a sudden this little phrase came into my mind. I didn't know where from. I know that it's not, there's nothing new under the sun. You Google it, you'll find movies, stranger in the manger. That's not the, uh, that is not the, um, the uh, in- inspiration for tonight. Uh, but it was this thing, and I began thinking about it. And then, you know, I have learned that when things like that drop in my heart, there's usually a reason. And so I began to ponder that a little bit. And so tonight, that is uh, part one of our series on Christmas, is the stranger in the manger. And Stranger is just simply someone that you uh, that you meet that you do not know or one you are not familiar with. And uh, I was just thinking about like strangers in our lives. Do you ever have like people who come up to you and they're like, hey, do you recognize me? <laughs> or on the phone, like I was at a funeral a while ago and these people are like, hey, uh, do, you, do you remember me? And I'm like, oh, darn, I hate when they do that. And then uh, like I'm looking at them and they're looking at me and they know who I am and I'm supposed to know who they are and I don't know who they are. And then I'm looking, they're like, you want a hint? I'm like, yeah. And then they say something like our parents went to school together. I'm like, I wasn't even in school with my parents. Like, how is that going to help me? And you know, they think that's going to be the big hint that, that, that now you're going to know. And you just feel terrible, right? You're like, I feel awful. You feel unimportant. I'm sure, you know, I don't know who you are. And then you're like, Okay, okay, who are you? And then it's some like, like some way, way back thing of like, I went to your church once. So, you know, I saw, I watched you on YouTube. I was like, <laughs> so I don't even know if that has anything to do with the message tonight. Just, just, just don't do that to me anymore. That's my personal announcement. There we go. But when you meet strangers, it can be, there's an awkwardness to like be, being in contact with, uh, with, with strangers. And as I thought about that, I'm like, there's a little bit of awkwardness around this message as well. And tonight, you know, when you think about the Christmas story, we kind of assume that everyone knows the Christmas story, right? I know they like they have the Santa and all that stuff, but everyone knows about the nativity, right? Everybody knows the story of Jesus. And the truth is that many do not. There was um, uh, the fair, the Simcoe Fair. I uh, was chatting with somebody. They said, yeah, they had set up this nativity the, the one year. And they're asking kids, um, you know, what do you, uh, what do you think this is about? Do you guys know what this story is about? And they said, we couldn't believe how many kids had no idea what this was about. And maybe it's because it was like earlier in the year in October and they're like, wait a second, oh, there's one of those in December, but we didn't know there was one in October. It wasn't that at all. They're like, I had no idea. They had no idea that there was a savior that had come for them. It's just, we live in this post-Christian nation that becomes more and more uh, disengaged with, this, with the, the, the true story. And you know, to them, those, to those kids, Jesus was basically just a stranger in the manger. And I thought about it. I thought, you know what? Yeah. To them, that's what it is. But then I realized that for many people who do know the story about Christmas, they still see Jesus simply as a stranger in the manger. And I want to talk to us tonight about that because there may be people here tonight and you're going to become aware by the end of this message that, yeah, yeah, to me, he's a stranger in the manger. Or for you, you're like, you know what? I know somebody. 
I, I, you know, they, they, they appear to have it together, but no, to them, he simply remains a stranger in the manger. So let's turn in, the, in our Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going to get there in a second. But the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they write, they write the account of Jesus' birth. And uh, it's, it's interesting as you read it, they have different sort of different takes, different angles that they start from. You know, Matthew, he wants you to know how it happened. He actually says it this way in Matthew 1.18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. Luke, Mr. Details, he's like, he fills in all the blanks and he's like, this is when it happened. Okay, it was during, it was uh, when Augustus was the emperor, Quirinius was, it was the first sentence or <laughs> census when he was governor. And it's like, here's the time frame. Like, I want you to know when it happened. And then John doesn't even write any of the details about what happened, when it happened. He just wants you to know who it was that happened to the planet. He wants you to know who it was that happened. And that's where we're going to take a look uh, this evening. You got, your, you got your Bibles? John chapter 1? Let's read. If you don't have it, you'll find it on the screen. We're, we're, we're going to read the first uh, up 18 verses. We're not going to read all of them. There's a few that we're skipping out on. You can go home and read them. They're about John the Baptist. We want to focus on Jesus tonight. And so we're going to read this. It says, in the beginning, in the beginning, like in like the Genesis beginning, before time began, the word already existed. The Word was with, was with God, and the Word was God. He says he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. He's like, this is a person I'm talking about. Then he writes, the Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. And that light, it shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now we're going to move to verse 9. It says, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. It says he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. And then he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. In verse 14, so the word became human, made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And then skip to verse 18. It says this, no one's ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart and he has revealed God to us. You get this sense from John that he wants people to understand very clearly who it was that was in that manger that Christmas morning. You know, we see uh, as we read through just John chapter one, we recognize that Jesus was a stranger to the world. See, in John chapter 1, verse 10, it says, He came into the very world He created. He went into His own creation, but the world didn't recognize Him. They, all they realized was that He was a stranger to them. You know, the world had never seen anyone like Him. Never seen anyone like Him. No artist has ever done this before. No artist has ever gone into their own painting and become a part of the painting. No, no builder, you know, maybe they've entered their own building that they created, but they don't become a part of the building. There was never this uh, sense where the God of all creation, it was not in their mindset that that was even possible, that God could actually become a part of his own creation. That's not how this world works. It's not how it's supposed to work anyways. And that's the point that John's making He's, he's right from the beginning saying, he's not of this world. And if you think of him like this world thinks, you're going to miss it every single time. Because he's not of this world. 
for the very first time, a citizen of heaven was walking physically on our planet. A citizen of heaven. And you may recognize that term because Paul later writes to the believers and he says, hey, I want you guys to live like citizens of heaven. Not from this planet, not from this world, not living like this world lives or you'll miss it. You'll miss it. It was a really religious culture that Jesus was born into. We have the, you know, we have Judaism, but we also have the, you know, the Roman Empire with all of their gods and the Greeks with all of their gods and in all of their mindset. There was, there was no like room or understanding for, for God to come to the planet like that. They had interactions with the gods, but it was never, never like this, you know, like coming like a little baby that was going to save the world. That, that was just not in their mindset. You know, Paul, when, um, when he wrote to the, to the Greeks later, he wrote, a, uh, well, he, he speaks to them. It's Acts chapter 17. He's wandering through Athens and he sees all these altars to these gods and he sees one to the unknown God. And he begins to explain to them, he's like, hey, this unknown God, that's the one that I'm actually trying to describe to you. He's, he's not like all of your other gods you made with your own hands and then worshipped. He's like the God who made you. He's way, way beyond. To the Philippians, he writes it this way. Verse 6 of Philippians 2, it says, though he, meaning Jesus, though he was God. He didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. He didn't look at heaven and say, oh, I just got to, I got to, I can't risk this. But instead, it says he gave up his divine privilege and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he, God himself, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You think of that. John wants us to think and understand it's the God of all creation somehow found a way to confine himself into the body of an infant. Man, it's humbling. Like, there's no dignity with infants. You know, like, they are completely dependent on someone else. The one who everything depends on is now going to become completely dependent on someone else. The unlimited takes on the limits of humanity. The unknown, the God that was unknown, wants to be known. And the world just couldn't recognize him. They didn't recognize this stranger in the manger. Why? Because they're so used to darkness. You know, it was like light came into the darkness and they're like, wait a second, what is this? Because this isn't how this world works. Our world continues to work in the realm of darkness. And darkness doesn't recognize light. Instead, it reacts to light. It takes off. You know, when Jesus was, uh, you know, he was walking through, um, uh, through his ministry. How often does it talk about how often he walks somewhere and the demons recognize him because they're of his world. They recognize him and they start freaking out. And he just speaks to them and says, you know, get out of that guy. And they're like, we know who you are. We know that you're Jesus. Like, stop, stop talking about me. I know you know who I am, but now take off and, and sets people free. There's one spot where there's a man who has a legion, a thousand demons in him, and uh, Jesus is like, going to cast them out, and they're begging. They're like, please, like, don't send us to hell. Just send us into these pigs. And he's like, no problem, but you know where to go. Sets the man free. They recognized him, but even the people around didn't recognize him. The farmers who watched their pigs all take off down a cliff, they're like, we don't know who you are. We actually don't care who you are. We just want you to leave. Just leave us alone. Hey, God in a body, right there, and they want him to leave. Why? Because to them, he was still a stranger from the manger, and they wanted nothing to do with him. You know, even the world leaders of the day didn't recognize him. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians and says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's talking about the wisdom of, of men versus the wisdom of God. And he says, no, the wisdom that we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. He's talking about the message of salvation. He says this, but the rulers of this world have not understood it. They don't understand uh, his ways because if they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the leaders of the day. You know, the day Jesus is born. Not long after, there's a king, Herod, who sees him as a threat to his throne. And to be fair, Jesus is a threat to everyone's throne. This throne right here, he's a threat. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But Herod, he, he wants him He wants him dead. He sees him as a threat. Pilate sees him as an inconvenience. You know, he's like, why do I got to deal with this guy when this is your problem? But because you're making me deal with it, fine. Let him be crucified, having no idea what they were doing. You know, they always talk about how hindsight is 2020. You know, how many investments would have gone different if we could have known what was coming? Right? Anybody who was in the Enron scandal was like, oh, had I known, I never would have invested there. Or, you know, the recent FTX cryptocurrency, you know, over the last couple of years is like, oh, had I known or whatever it may be. If you think back to your greatest mistake, be like, oh, you know, I never would have married her. <laughs> whatever it may be. Don't nudge people. Oh, man. Free marriage counseling after the service. I... Should not have said that. <laughs> but hindsight, though, it's 2020, right? You think about these guys, Herod, Pilate, here, all they're thinking about is the temporary, the temporal, this life. What am I going to do to make my life here better? And not recognizing that their eternal life was actually hanging in the balance. That Herod himself had a sinless so long needing a savior and trying to eradicate him beforehand just because of the threat. Pilate, oh, it's just an inconvenience, not realizing he would need a savior you know, it's crazy because these two kings, the, the, the powerful people back then, are just footnotes in the story of Jesus. We barely talk about them in the story of Christ, and yet they are spending eternity without him. Why? Because to him, he was simply a stranger in the manger. He came to this world, but they didn't recognize him. Second, he was a stranger to his own people. We see it in the next verse of John chapter 1, verse 11. It says, he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. I mean, these are the people who should have known, right? They're the ones who should have seen him coming. Their forefathers had been promised that there was a Savior coming to rescue them, so they knew it was going to happen in their, part of the, in their part of the world. They knew that. They were God's people. For decades, for centuries, their prophets had been prophesying, okay, it's going to look a little bit more like this, and it's going to look like this, and here's where he's going to be born, and this is what's going to happen, and it was promised. And it's the thing that they were waiting and waiting and waiting for that. And it's funny how people wait and wait and wait for something, and then when it shows up, they're like, you know, they just they miss it. You see it in, you know, even when um, as I was reading about this New Testament prayer meeting, right? Peter's in jail. Everybody's praying for Peter to be set free. All of a sudden, Peter knocks on the door and like, it can't be him. Well, isn't that what you were just praying for and waiting for? Oh, yeah. Okay, maybe it is him. And it, and it is him. It's amazing how they almost miss these miracles. But why? Because it, it, it happened like, not quite like they expected it to. Not quite like they wanted it to. As, as I was preparing for this, I was reminded of something that happened like when I was in Bible school. So I think I was like 17 or 18 years old. 
And uh, there was this girl in our Bible school, her name was Amy. And uh, so Amy and our family, we were great friends. And uh, for a whole year, you know, we, we uh, like she would be at our house all the time. And she would always tell us, she was like, she would always tell us about her sister, her sister, Natalie. She's, she, would, she would always tell, tell me about her and be like, she's just like me, but she has red hair, she would say. And, and uh, you, you know what, she's going to be coming here next year to Bible school. You guys are going to hit it off. And uh, she's like, I just, man, I love your family so much. I want you to marry my sister. So she keeps talking and talking and talking. Well, I don't realize this, but she's also doing the same thing with Natalie, who lives in BC. And she's telling her, I know this guy, his name's Mark. You got to meet him. You got to meet him. And uh, so eventually the year goes by and we've both heard about each other for a long, long time. And so then finally the day comes where we meet each other. We just kind of look at each other that first time. We're like, we kind of know how it's supposed to go in Amy's mind, but it doesn't go that way at all. I mean, we, we have like, conversation a little bit. It's awkward. Uh, and then, you know, because Amy's always at her place, well, then Natalie is too. And we have these, these conversations. It's like, no, like, I really, you know, I actually don't like this person, I don't think. Like, we're, we're too much the same. We butt heads on everything. Like, what was Amy thinking, you know? This is like, I don't even know who this person is. And, and we kind of both agreed, you know, it'd be fine if we never had to ever see each other again. And then my brother married her. <laughs> True story. And, and, and we... And I got an older sister out of the deal, and she is one of the most amazing people that we know. Beautiful, amazing person. And yet, what happened in that moment? It was like, I thought it was going to be this way, and we both had that same thought. We thought that they would be a little different, a little bit more like we expected them to be. It doesn't happen, right? Same for the people of Israel. They, they, they're expecting Jesus to come and be this Savior who's going to rescue them from Rome, and, 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 and then this little baby shows up, and they miss him. And they miss him. And for many of them, it's simply because they had very limited knowledge of his word. You know, they didn't know his word. And so as a result, they don't, they don't recognize him. You know, for, for the people in his own town, their, their biggest hang-up was that they actually thought they knew him. They thought they knew who Jesus was, and that's what actually hindered them from recognizing him. They're like... <laughs> We know his mom, right? And we know his brothers and we know his sisters and we know the whole story. You know, yeah, he was born in a manger, yada, yada, yada. We, where does he get this authority and th- who does he think he is? He's just that guy from Nazareth. It's no big deal. And I wonder how many people treat Jesus like that today. It's like kind of like that, you know, we gather in his name, but he's like, he's no big deal. Or we forget how big of a deal he truly is. Think about that. They forgot the fact that it was kings who came and bowed their knee before him. They forget that it was angels who announced his arrival. They forget that it was prophets for hundreds of years saying he's coming. And then when he arrived, the prophets of the day, Anna and Simeon, were like, this is him. This is him. They forgot. They forgot. And so to them, he simply remained a stranger in the manger, Matthew 13 describes their response to him. Verse 57, it says, And they were deeply offended by him, and they refused to believe in him. Just remember that word. They refused to believe in him. You know, their religious leaders, the ones who did know this really, really well, they had the same response. They had great knowledge of the scriptures. They knew it well, but they had a lack of understanding in them. You know, in John chapter 3, it's the most famous chapter in the Bible because it holds the most famous verse in the Bible. Anybody know what it might be? 
Yep, good guess. John 3, 16, right? People know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. They don't always know the whole story around it. Well, the story goes like this. There's a, there's a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and he's like, he's got questions for this new teacher. And so he goes and he says, Jesus, I want to meet you at night. I don't want anybody else to know about this, but we want to meet. And uh, John's somewhere because he's taking notes. You know, maybe he's just outside the window, but he hears the conversation. And it says this, John 3, verse 2. It says this, after dark one evening, he, who's Nicodemus, came to speak with Jesus and listen to the words he says. He says, Rabbi, he said, we all know, okay, I know it's dark and, you know, you know, we won't say this in the light, but all my friends and I, you know, and everybody around here, we all know something. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. We all know that God is with you. And then he starts asking questions. And so they have this conversation about how God has done things like this before. Israel was in trouble and God raised up this amazing leader. His name was Moses and he had all kinds of signs and they knew God was with Moses. And so Nicodemus is telling Jesus, you know, it's like this, you know, Moses, he, he raised up the, the stick in the wilderness. So like, Jesus, you know the story of Moses, right? And Jesus is like, what do you mean? Do I know the story of Moses? That story is pointing to me. Someday you guys are going to raise me up on a stick and whoever looks at me is going to be saved from their sins. And they're like, yeah, that's the problem. You keep talking about this saved from your sins thing. And we see it over and over throughout, throughout the, um, through, through the gospel writers. They talk about this where Jesus talks about them being saved from their sins. And Jesus, you know, with Nicodemus is pushing that a little bit because he says, you know, you think... You think when you say, we all know God is with you, Jesus. He's like, what you fail to realize is that God is sitting with you, Nicodemus. God is right here right now. Because he's the only one who can forgive sins. And we, we see it. Matthew chapter 9, there's a paralyzed man brought to Jesus who wants to be healed. And Jesus says to him, hey, your sins are forgiven. And they all freak out. And they're like, who's this guy who can forgive sins? Because only God can do that. And he's like, Exactly. I'm trying to let you know who I am. Like, here's that, here's the hint. Here's the hint of who I really am. And then they're having dinner one night at a Pharisee's house, and this immoral woman comes in, and she starts anointing Jesus' feet, and they're all like, this is weird. He's like, Jesus, you should know who's, who this is that's touching you. And he's like, yeah, I know. And he looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. And they're all like, who is this guy who thinks he can forgive sins? Does he think he's God? And Jesus is like, Exactly. What's their response? The stranger in the manger gets revealed to them for who he really is. And John just says it simply. It says they rejected him. He came to his own and yet they rejected him. So stranger to the world, stranger to his own people. Third point for taking notes. Here it is. He was no stranger to his crew. He was no stranger to his crew, to the disciples, the ones who followed him. Many others followed him. He called them to, and to them, he was a stranger at first. They couldn't quite wrap their minds around who this man was. And so, you know, they thought God was with him, but they stayed around long enough to kind of find out what was going on. They would ask the questions like this. Who's this, who's this man who opens the eyes of the blind? Because that's not how our world operates, or it's not supposed to anyway. Who is this guy? 
And they followed him for a little longer. And they end up on a boat with him. And they end up in a storm. And he speaks to the waves. And they recognize his voice. And they're like, we obey. You are, you are our creator. They become still. And they look at him and be like, who is this man that even he can speak to the waves and they obey him? And they stay a little longer and they're in those conversations where they hear, he's the man who forgives sins. Who is this man who forgives sins? Great questions. They're asking the right questions. They're like, who is this? Who is this? Who is this? And they remain long enough to find out who he is. They knew that this world worked in a certain way and he was not like this world. And then they watched as their friend hung on a cross right in front of their eyes. They watched him die. They knew he was dead, and every single one of them expected him to stay dead. Even though he was such an amazing person, such an amazing man, they're like, we know how our world works. Dead people stay dead. And then a few days later, they're like, it's him on the beach. And they eat breakfast with him and they go fishing with him and they touch him and they make him eat stuff to see if it's like, is he a ghost? Are we going to see the fish like in midair? No, he's truly alive. They're like, dude, he is who he said he is. He's not of this world. John's like, write it down. Everybody write it down. And they begin, that's when they begin writing down the birth story of Jesus. They didn't write, none of them were at the manger that night going, this is a big deal, guys. Matthew, you got a pen? We better write this down. No, that's not when they, they begin writing it down after the fact because they're like, now we know who he was. Everyone else, to everyone else, he's simply that stranger in the manger. But we know, we know who he is. We know him. We know him. We know him. He's no longer a stranger in the manger. And I thought about it. They didn't, they didn't write all these accounts of like, you know, Mary and Joseph going and no room for them in the inn so that we could have like cute Christmas pageants. Get the kids, dress them up in the bathrobes and be like, had a little dolly in there. Or if you got a little baby, you know, put a baby in the manger. Oh, it's so cute. There's nothing cute about it. There's nothing cute about this story. And you know, I think that's where we may have missed it. We've gotten so used to it. It's, oh, it's such a cute story. And he's like, it's God in a body. The king of all creation. He came for us. This is a huge, huge deal. They wrote it so we dare not minimize him to be just a baby. And we dare not treat him just like the stranger in the manger. And the truth is this. Not only did they know him, they wanted us to know him. They wanted you to know him. They wanted anybody that they, that they came across to know him. How do I know that? Turn to 1 John. Same John, but it's not John 1, but 1 John. So flip to the right. Because I just want you to see it tonight. 1 John chapter 1, just the first four verses. It's how he starts his letter to, to whoever would read it. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. So John's writing this like a long time after Jesus has left the planet. And he's like, we still believe this. This is the message. It has not changed at all. We're not walking around saying, hey, we knew this guy, Jesus. He did some cool stuff. Like he, he, he somehow multiplied bread. He told some cool stories. There was this one about this, this kid who lived in a pig pen. You know, that's a pretty great story. That's not what they're doing. They're like, no, we're gonna let, we have one story for you. And it is who he is. And he says this, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and we've seen. 
He's like, I'm telling you what I heard and what I saw. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He's the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us. We have seen him. Are you getting the point? He saw him, right? That's what he keeps repeating. He says, and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard. So just seen and heard, now actually seen and heard. So that you may have what? Fellowship. See, that's, that's the point. He's like, we're telling you about the story. And, and, you know, you can read about how he was born in a manger and ended up on a cross. But he came that you might have fellowship. And he says it this way, fellowship with us. You know, we want you to be a part of us, the ones who know, the ones who've seen and heard him. And our fellowship, he says, is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We are united with him, and we want you to be united in that as well. And we're writing these things so you may fully share our joy. Man, he's not writing this like, hey, you know, I was talking with somebody this, this before the service tonight. He's like, I'm not writing this so that you just get saved, you know, so you just don't end up in hell someday. He's like, we're writing this so you might know God, that you might be united with Christ the way that they were, that you would know him to know him because he was a stranger to the world. He was a stranger to his people. He was no stranger to his crew, but is he a stranger to you? Tonight we finish with this. If you forget all the rest, this is the part I believe matters the most because it's where our story intersects with his story. What is, who is he to you? Is he a stranger to you? You know, the question was never, do you know of Jesus? That was never the question. The question was never, do you know about him? Do you know, do you know the story of the nativity? You know, do you know the Christmas story? No, it was never, that was never the question. The question has always been, do you know him? Do you know him? You know, in Matthew 16, you can go home and read it later, but in Matthew 16, Jesus has this conversation with the disciples and they're talking about, you know, how um, um, Caesar is like the son of a God. And, and also Jesus asked the disciples this question. He's like, hey, fellas, who, who do people say that I am? Like, we've been traveling around for a while. Who do they say that I am? And, and, and then they respond, and Peter says to him, well, some think you're like John the Baptist. You know, some think you're Elijah. Some think you're Jeremiah or just another prophet. And he's like, okay, so that's kind of out there. You know, that's, what they, that's who they think I am. Who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, and he answers it correctly when he says this. He says that you are the Messiah, you are the Savior. You're the son of the living God. You're not a son of a God like Caesar. You are the only son of the living God. And the story of Christmas isn't about what others think. It doesn't matter. If every other person misses the stranger in the manger, the question for each and every one of us and anyone we come into contact with is, who do you say that he is? Do you know him? Do you know him? You know, I, I think it's interesting that many know the story, but they don't know the author. I love that Charity Gale song. She's like, I met the author of my story, and he's mine. He's mine. And they can't help but just like sing it out, right? He's mine. There's this personal connection with the author of their story. You know, many people know the word of God. They've been in church their whole life. They don't know the God of the word, they don't know who he is. They, they, they think he's more like this world and he's nothing like this world. 
You know, they, there's, John says it in this way in 1 John. He's like, there's no darkness in him at all. So when people have this thought like, oh, God's like, he's angry at me or like all he's, you know, he's, a, it's like two ditches. There's like the ditch on one side where he's like, God is this angry ogre in the sky. And all he wants to do is, is smirk and smote people and then smirk again and just wait for you to get it wrong. And then, you know, I'll smite you with some boils or something. It's true. It's amazing how many people spend all this time in church and they have this terror of who God is, not realizing it's his kindness that draws us to repentance. And then there's another ditch on the other side where people are like, oh, God, just love, love, love. He just loves everybody. Brother, it's okay. You can do whatever you want as long as you're in church on Sunday. It doesn't matter how you live. God loves you. It's another ditch. They do not know the God of the Bible. And why? <laughs> Part of it, I think they just don't read. They just don't read. They just don't read it to say, Lord, I just want to, I actually want to know you. And his desire, the very desire of, all, of, of, of God of all creation is this, that we would recognize him for who he really is, that he would no longer be a stranger from the manger to us, that we would be united in relationship with him. You know why? It's what he says in John 3, that whosoever believes in, whoever trusts in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Have you thought about that? Because to be honest, trusting, trusting in him That's what's required for right relationship with him. It's trusting in him that we have right relationship with God. But think about this. How often do we trust strangers? Because if he's still a stranger, I think you're going to have a hard time with the trusting him. We even teach our kids don't trust strangers. You know, it's ingrained in us. And it's why he doesn't desire to be the stranger in the manger And he's not looking for you to blindly trust him as if, well, uh, that preacher said it. I guess I'll do it. There's nothing to do with that. You know, the disciples themselves didn't want you to blindly trust in what they said. And just like, hey, you know, we say this. We think you should believe it. Come join us and give us your money. Like, that's not how this went. How do we know? Let's finish it with these last few verses. John chapter 20, the very end of John's gospel. He writes this in verse 30. He just wrote a whole bunch, 20 chapters of the life of Jesus. And he says this, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Man, that's why they wrote it. They're like, we're writing this so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that you may have life by the power of his name. Why? Because something happens to people when they begin to trust in him. Something changes on the inside and comes alive. It's what John said. They become born again. They become alive to Christ. They know him. It's not knowing the stories, but they know him. And so, you know, John chapter one, we finish where we started. Verse 12 he said, we know in verse, you know, the couple of verses before, he came to the world that he created, they didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, they rejected him. Verse 12, he says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So as we end today, I just end with these questions. What about you today? 
If you're listening still online, what about you? Have you thought about how this affects your life today? Has the story of Christmas been just that for you? A story. You, you know it. But is he still just a stranger in a manger to you? Or do you know him? Do you know the Messiah in the manger? And so to me, and for you tonight, I would challenge you to take the next 20 days and read, just read through the Gospel of John. Be like, don't stay in that place where you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm not really sure. But she would just dig in and say, Lord, would you show me who you are? Would you show me who you really are? And then finally, there's that phrase, don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger. When, when do we say that? We say that to people when we're, seeing, you know, when we're parting. And what, does it say? what is it? It's like, hey, stay in contact with me. Just keep in communication with me. Don't, don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger. And I think that's the same thing for us. Is that, that same thought that if you're a Jesus follower here, don't, don't be a stranger with him. Don't be in that spot where you're like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to allow it to become my weekend thing. But now every day, Lord, I, I want to know you. Lord, I just want to communicate with you. And then I want to know you. I want to know you more. I want to read your word. I'll just spend time in prayer just communing with you. I want to be united with you. See my heart, Lord. And whatever's not right there, change it, Father. But for your glory. And I say that because I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 7. We're not going to read it tonight, but it's very famous where Jesus says to some people, he says, don't, don't, you know, for there's, there's people who are going to call me Lord, Lord, he says. They're going to call me Lord. He says, not everybody who calls me Lord is going to enter into heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. You know, there, there will be people one day who are going to hear those words someday when they get to heaven's door thinking they're supposed to get in. He's going to say, I never knew you. That's why this matters. That's why it matters. It's not to throw guilt, shame, or like, let's have an altar call and see if we can get you up here. It's just simply this. That is as true as everything else we've said tonight. And our lives like hang in the balance. I would hate it for any of us to be the ones that he says, you know, I never knew you, especially when we had every opportunity to do so. And so I'd encourage you, once again, would you grab your Bible when you get home? Maybe you're like, you've never read it before. Man, it's the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us into all truth, and He is there waiting for you. And as you open it, I believe He will do exactly what He says, that He will cause you to come alive on the inside to Him, that your life will be forever changed, forever saved, united with the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, because He no longer is the stranger in the manger. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. God, thank you for the reminder in my life. Thank you for what you did on that cross, Jesus. Terrible and beautiful all at the same time. Father, I pray for every person here tonight. I pray that they've heard your voice and those who hear it now, that they would know, (laughs) they'd know inside right now what you desire of them. Maybe you're calling them to you for the first time. Maybe you're calling them to simply repent and turn back towards you. Lord, I pray that whatever they hear you saying tonight, they would have courage to take that step. Father, thank you for the great gift of Christmas, the great gift of your son, the great gift of relationship with you. Thank you that we are united with you. Jesus is most wonderful, wonderful thing. Father, may we live it to the fullest. May we share it with those around us. May they truly see the hope of the world this Christmas. I pray this in your name. Amen.
Amen. Well, for those, uh, we often throw some questions up on the screen because we'd love you to think more about it. We'd love you to chat with somebody about it. And so uh, you can find it uh, on, on there or you can find it behind us. It's in this little bit of uh, interesting font. But what do you think Jesus is saying to you today? You know, do you know people who think he's kind of just the stranger in the manger? How would you share the Christmas story with others? I think, if anything, that's the one question I, I really would encourage you to answer. If you had to share the Christmas story with somebody, what do you share? Is it the nativity or is it the gospel? Because they need the gospel. That's it. I'm done preaching. All right. So if you're, if you're here tonight and you'd like somebody to pray with you, we'd love to do that. If you're here tonight and you feel him prompting you, don't just leave. Do something with that. Do something with that and do it soon because his, that, that, that voice will get fainter and, and maybe for you, you'd be like, yeah, it's back again. I've been here before. Do something with that. Respond to that.